Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good. It's been way too long since we recorded a podcast. I'm sorry guys, life has been very busy, but I'm excited to come to you with this Fight Night episode with a sparring partner to tag team against David with. Michael Tyberg, our very first ever interview and guest on the show, is here again for episode number 60. Hell yeah. What's up? So happy to be here. Michael, I believe you were episode number 10, and that was all about uh, hyper-Bitcoinization. So you listeners can probably guess about where Tyberg stands on the whole Ethereum versus Bitcoin spectrum. Uh, Tyberg, do you have any words to say about that? Uh, How do you explain yourself? We've, we've come a long way, uh, I guess, in brief summary, uh, my take is that uh, Bitcoin is going to encapsulate all value um, that exists. Uh, and since we're moving towards the digital world, it'll, you know, move towards that. Um, it'll basically just become the global standard for money uh, and it'll take over fiat currency. So we'll see what happens. But uh, it's been the, almost a year since since that episode. No, not that long. No, we started releasing episodes sure. in like November or December. So I guess we're, we're, we're approaching. We're, we're getting there. Michael, you work with okay. Christian at uh, Bitcoin Media, which uh, just threw on the Bitcoin 2019 conference, which I was just down with you three hanging out. It was a really good conference. Tons of energy there. Uh, the Bitcoin 2019 totally. pump was, was palpable and uh, the energy w- around the whole conference was, was pretty, pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah, we worked very hard. Michael definitely had a very, very big part in uh, driving a lot of ticket sales and and engagement for the conference. Uh, So it was just really awesome to see it be this thing that was just like, you know, non-existing, just a plan. And all of a sudden it just culminates at once. And I'm glad that the culmination didn't suck. No, it definitely didn't suck. And I I mean, we don't want to take credit for the price pump, but... Look, I mean, Bitcoin 2019 ended on Wednesday. Uh, I think Bitcoin was at 19, or I'm sorry, 13,900. And now we're uh, just over 10K. So look, I'm not saying anything, but it's it's down it, and Bitcoin 2019 is over. It was extremely coincidental. Like during the conference, during the, when the conference was going on, the price was increasingly going up at a higher and higher rate. And as soon as... The conference ended. I think it was like three or four hours later. We dropped by like two thousand dollars. So that was that was pretty crazy. The raising price did make for a fantastic graphic during the intermissions on the main stage. Just in between every intermission, we had the price and the market cap just on the screen. And you know, every time there's a talk, the price went up like five hundred dollars. It was awesome. Yeah, net awesome. worths were dep- uh, flying all over the place. People are getting richer just listening about Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk about some of the talks that I listened to there because I had the luxury to just to sit down and, and really uh, get what it's like to to be a bit at a Bitcoin conference. Because uh, as a, somebody who's listened to or been to three Ethereum global events and and heard a lot of talks there, I was uh, looking forward to being able to kind of compare and contrast some of the stuff that that Bitcoin conferences talk about versus Ethereum conferences. Uh, One of the big, actually I'll save that one for later. The first thing I noticed was that so many of the talks 
just took it for granted that Bitcoin is going to a bajillion dollars. Like, like literally no one didn't think that who who gave a talk all the panelists and all all the hosts like you guys had peter mccormick you had anthony pompliano like there were there was no one who hadn't bought into the narrative like everyone was there it's like oh yeah and then later in three years when bitcoin's a trillion dollars the world is going to be like this for sure that was that was the first thing i noticed i mean have you seen the chart after uh, the last two three months how could you not think that? <laughs> okay. It's it's funny because, I mean, we, uh, like, everybody just sees it go from, you know, dollars, cents, and now we see it at thousands. So it just keeps growing, man. I don't know if there's another way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's, like, innocent until proving guilty, I guess, with that one. But at the same time, the, so, like, the Bitcoin... G- Successful till proven yeah. unsuccessful. Well, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's Ro- the right way, to, right way to, to view success, but um, the, see the, the problem with the Bitcoin meme is that like the, the, the Bitcoin value proposition is, is not 21 million. It's price goes up. And as soon as the price stops going up, like, like Coinbase crashes, right? And we fall from like 13.9 to 12,000 because Coinbase went down and everyone freaked out and sold and then the price stopped going up and then and then now we haven't we ha- we lost that momentum like the bitcoin meme is once the price stops going up that's the meme and that's kind of it so the value of the value proposition of bitcoin is not the 21 million but it's that the price goes up i would say that yeah the meme that the sure. price goes up no totally i mean i think that's a meme and that is a classic meme uh i love it every time i see it um and it is spread like wildfire but that meme is a result of the 21 million hard cap so it's just a byproduct of a really awesome feature yeah yeah maybe okay all right uh then the other thing i noticed about the the conversations and the talks and this is what i really wanted to to get into the meat of is all of the ways that Bitcoin can do stuff. And so like lightning, right? But then also like there was a, you know, smart contracting on top of Bitcoin. And I sat down for that one and just, you know, I was like, all right, here we go. Let's see where this goes. And it was like rootstock and taproot and all these like hypothetical ways to make Bitcoin more expressive. And all of them were like super unsatisfying. And even outside of that talk, uh, so many companies were like, oh, yeah. And then there's lightning. Like one of the talks was exchanges in a lightning enabled world, like how exchanges are going to change their behavior based on lightning. And every single one was like, oh, yeah. And we're going to wait for lightning to develop further. And then we'll, you know, think about implementing it. And I was like, hmm this sounds like we're in 2017. Like what has gone on in the last two years and why does it sound exactly the same? And also where's trustless programming? There's no trustless programming on top of Bitcoin. Those were my two big takeaways from the Bitcoin 2019 talks. There's a lot of unpack there to quite fully understand (laughs) your take, right? So there's a few assumptions. The main one is that the quote unquote smart contract that smart contracts that are being used on DeFi and the organizations around them are in fact trustless and decentralized. So I would put that into question. And then with that being said, Bitcoin is the stalwart of all decentralized tech. In itself is the stalwart of decentralized tech. 
so things built on top of it are inherently more robust, especially if they want to be, even if they're centralized. So I think that is kind of like my main kind of rebuttal. Where it matters, Bitcoin is decentralized enough, and then everything else built on top of it, yeah, it can be decentralized. Yeah, it can be centralized. You know, what works, what what works, works, and the market will push those innovations as it makes sense. And then, again, the rebuttal is, I don't think that DeFi and all this other stuff is actually decentralized like you make it out to be. You know, I think the talks at Bitcoin 2019 did a really good job of, um, like you said, David, and you pointed this out to be a negative, but I think it's just, I don't know if it's a negative or a positive, it's just like a reality um, fact. But, you know, smart contracts on Bitcoin right now are not doing as much, uh, even as close to anything that Ethereum's doing. And, you know, I think it just goes, uh, boils down to something that, like, I feel like we all know, and uh, most people listening would know, is that, and that's that Bitcoin is the underlying protocol that's accruing a lot of value just as a store of value. And Ethereum happens to have a lot of value in it uh, as money and as a smart contracts platform, but it just simply is a better smart contracts platform uh, on the base layer. And so I guess it's just easier to do uh, on Ethereum. So that's just the difference. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that Bitcoin can't do it yet because it's just not, that's not one of its main uh, attractions. So to go back to Christian, what you said, the, that a lot of these protocols on Ethereum are centralized rather than being you know decentralized and permissionless. Some are, but some have the entirety of the code built directly onto the blockchain. And the only thing that's really centralized is the website interface, right? Like how you, people actually access these things. Like for example, DYDX, MakerDAO, Compound, Uniswap. Those are like the big ones. All of those are their dApps, as in all of their stuff, all their data, all the, the programming is on the chain itself. And the only centralized part is the web interface. And so if somebody wanted to go and say, hey, turn off Compound, they can't. And that's why when, when Compound wanted to update, they had to tell everyone, hey, we have this new version two of Compound. Instead of lending there, go lend here because we can't. And so you can still go lend on that old platform. It's still there because it's censorship resistant. But now there's also this new and better platform that it's like kind of like a chain fork. It's like a dApp fork. And so these things are going to be able to exist in perpetuity, unlike other like semi centralized, decentralized applications like, um, I don't know, the, the ones that do require human maintenance. And so there is a, a very important nuance there where like if these teams died or disappeared like their code can uh, continue and that's the thing that bitcoin doesn't have being built on it in your opinion what is more decentralized lightning or any of these apps uh that are in the DeFi movement if you are we including the centralized interface of the app i mean yeah sure of course like are i mean unless you have an example of other people developing on some old code or whatever of these forks um i know i'm as far as i'm concerned you know a company is building infrastructure and people are using that based on the company well even the infrastructure that the company is building it's the infrastructure itself that is what you need to pay attention to not the fact that a company is building it like a, a centralized team of people can be building it but they can still be building something censorship censorship resistant 
Like it doesn't doesn't matter that there's like three people that are building this code. It's it's the quality of the code. It's a qualitative analysis of what the code actually is. And if the code is this system that goes in perpetuity that doesn't have a back door, that's the kind of code we're looking for. So Lightning has those characteristics. So my question is, what is more decentralized, Compound or Lightning? I think I think they're within the same ballpark enough to like not really. That answer that not really be that important yeah, they're close I enough that's fair. lightning has three different companies that are building implementations how many are building that for compound but it doesn't matter because that's not that's not the issue that's not the centralization risk because there's there's still no third party risk with compound because the third party risk is cut out from the code so like i said the companies the centralized single companies can go defunct and the only thing that happens is compound stops being innovated and iterated on it just is where it is and also people can take some other person can take the compound code and run with it and generate a new team and so like that's that's like an anti-fragile system because it's open source you can access this code and if and if you want to improve it in your own way you can go do that so what is special about that that makes it different than other open source software that that it's that it's on ethereum and you can program money with it I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't follow the question. So, for example, there's Wasabi. That's open source wallet. Anyone can just take that code and fork it. It doesn't actually run on Bitcoin's hard, uh, blockchain directly, mm-hmm. but it's open source. Anyone can have it. Mm-hmm. It's it's chain mixing. It's something that Ethereum does not have a reliable, non-custodial way of doing. Yeah, but how do you it's how do you adapt. download how do you download Wasabi wallet? You download it from GitHub. It's a desktop wallet? No, it's, well, it's a, open source. It's an open source wallet. Okay. I like that. That's cool. I mean, like there's yeah. a whole bunch of that stuff. It doesn't have to actually be built on the blockchain. Like the the if your moat is building on the blockchain, I don't think it's a moat. The key thing that you guys are both talking about is that whether or not it's decentralized, the underlying thing is whether or not the yeah. code is reviewable. Whether or not other people can look at it and say, "Hey, that's what's going on here. Oh, that's okay. Here we go." So it, it just has to be seen by other people and determined by like other people who just their own, you know, natural opinion if it works or not. Okay, so so uh, open source wallet with functions in it is cool. Uh, the thing that that doesn't give you is uh, composability or interoperability, and so that that single app that was created by these people can't interact with another app that's created by other people because they're they're disparate systems, and so. Like MakerDAO's die can be incorporated into DYDX or Dharma or, or whatever, and that's because they're all operating on chain, and so the all the data can be transferred, and you can't do that with separate, uh, you know, non-chain based infrastructure. Yeah, Ethereum's really good at that right now. Definitely, De- DeFi is money Legos. Bitcoin, in its own way, has that kind of functionality, just like. The unit of account being Bitcoin, that is kind of like, that can be plug and play however you want it to be. Um, I don't really, again, I don't really think that like programming on the blockchain directly is a moat. There's a lot of assumptions that it's good, right? You need other native assets that you want to actually transfer to be something that you want, right? If no one, in the end, if no one's like actually wants any tokens, then... No one gives a shit about that, so it doesn't matter. You don't need that that native interoperability. Even though people are already working on interoperability 
on on Lightning and other L2s. So um, I'm just not concerned about it. Okay. Um, so one thing that I've always been confused with is I don't understand why uh, Bitcoiners are so resistant to some like some of the stuff going on on ethereum like you can you can not you don't have to acknowledge that like eth is money or eth is going to be the future and still see some cool stuff going on with like all the interoperability behind the DeFi lending platforms especially and this is the crux of this whole episode and what we were talking about on our christian's rooftop before i left is bitcoin on ethereum will be like the coolest thing since sliced bread and I think Bitcoin and Ethereum blockchains are actually going to like meld together and be more indistinguishable from each other than they are today. And because specifically because trustless blockchains can communicate really, really well to each other because we do have the technology to create a trustless bridge from blockchain to blockchain. Like we have that technology uh, and I'm trying to figure out if anyone is implementing it right now. But if it is true that we do have the technology, then that means that we can get Bitcoin onto Ethereum in a wrapped token that is trustless. And so that means you can go back and forth freely. And so that's not and there's no fees, anything up, uh, other than the transaction fees. And then Bitcoin can be one of all the other assets that you can lend or borrow on Compound and MakerDAO does really, really well with permissionless, uh, censorship-resistant, internet-native assets. And so MakerDAO can receive huge collateral from trustless wrapped Bitcoin on Ethereum. And then it, you can also put it into DYDX and do leverage trading on it, which we know Bitcoiners do because they're funding BitMEX. And so they would probably rather just fund DYDX, which is a non-rent-seeking platform, and do it with Bitcoin. And they can have all of these same values that make them love Bitcoin in the first place, which is censorship resistance and uh, decentralization. And they and they can get all of these functions that they're, you know, they're lending Bitcoin via BlockFi. Well, they probably rather lend it through Compound because they could get to keep their, their private keys. And so I don't understand why Bitcoiners just don't love the concept, this concept of getting uh, Bitcoin on top of Ethereum and using Ethereum as its like uh, application layer. That that I, that seems like all Bitcoiners should be super interested in that. Sure, it's it's an it's a really interesting topic, and like I definitely think um, I don't know how uh, David. Do you know how well WBTC has been used since it's been created, or no? Yeah, it's got pretty decent liquidity on Kyber, and also it's used pretty heavily in Set Protocol, and so their Set Protocol is this bundling token service where they. They put Bitcoin and Ether into the same token and then they rebalance it. So it's kind of like like an automated um, trading algorithm. And so like if Bitcoin goes up hella and leaves Ether behind, then the token will rebalance and sell some Bitcoin for Ether uh, and vice versa. And then it does some other cool stuff. Um, so there, there's and there's like 350 wrapped Bitcoin on Ethereum from BitGo. So a, tr a, a trusted setup. So, you know not exactly what we're looking for but still like a good beta a be good beta run and so there's enough liquidity to get what people want done for starters sure yeah i mean there, it seems it sounds like there's a lot of liquidity or at least enough to get stuff done but it doesn't seem like there's a there's not a whole lot of liquidity yeah i mean either like there's an acceptable amount sure i mean 350 isn't too much but either way it doesn't sound like there's much of it being used uh in the smart contracts um you know type functionality so I guess I I mean to me that seems like uh 
like Bitcoin isn't doesn't appreciate in value. It doesn't its value doesn't lie within uh, you know its programmable money aspect because you know like you would agree uh, it doesn't that doesn't really you know exist in Bitcoin right now. So it doesn't surprise me that WBTC isn't used too much. But I guess they kind of like have different well, that, underlying values. That's not values. exactly fair because wrapped Bitcoin is BitGo's Bitcoin. And so a lot of all these projects that are like, you can't put um, WBTC inside of compound because of the chance that BitGo, you know, fucks something up or, you know, goes bankrupt or doesn't honor the, the peg. And so that's the importance of trustless BTC. Having trustless BTC versus, versus BitGo's BTC will be an entirely different asset really. Because you know, trustlessness and decentralization are clearly highly valued by this market. Because Ethereum and Bitcoin are market caps one and two. Is WBTC open source? Like the or the code for it? Like um... no, it's a it's just a an honored peg. It's like a GUSD or USDC. Gotcha. It's a it's a Bitcoin stable. There's coin. no bridge. Yeah, it's a Bitcoin <laughs> stable coin. There's no bridge. The the bridge is the company. That that says they'll they'll honor the the one to one peg. So I guess what I kind of question is, do does the market really want all the things on that are being offered on DeFi? Like I can understand, you know, the like the adoption curve. I feel like we're very much in the early early adopter area where it's more or less like ETH holders and. Uh, ETH enthusiasts who are partaking in these activities. And I don't really know that there's a whole lot of demand for leverage trading products and these kind of uh, tools yet. Um, so if I'm proven wrong, then maybe yes. Like, I'm not mad about it. Like, you guys know that. I'm, I would consider myself very much a pragmatist when it comes to Bitcoin in terms of how it interop- like how it plays with the rest of the crypto world. Um, obviously, I think that crypt- Bitcoin specifically is the by far the best thing to invest in. This is not investment advice, but that's my personal opinion. But outside of that, like I'm not mad about everything else that's happening. So if Bitcoin can spread its network effects onto Ethereum and even give Ethereum liquidity, like in terms of these tools... I think that that is long-term bullish for Bitcoin. I'm just skeptical that that's actually going to happen. There's definitely demand for DeFi. So like MakerDAO has issued a total of $340 million of DAI loans. And that's exclusively backed by Ether. And if there was also backed by trustless Bitcoin, I think we would see a lot of people, a lot of Bitcoiners migrate their Bitcoin to Ethereum so they don't have to have centralized trust in like salt lending or or whatever and so and then and then there's there's decent amount of of there's 42 million dollars in compound and 24 million dollars in dharma so like these are these are pretty good numbers especially for DeFi's like one year and really less than one year for most of these products like i think the i don't even pr- think that you can consider dharma DeFi. Like they're about to start taking the other side of people's of people's loans. Yeah, like it seems like they're, they're very much a company. Uh, and then compound, you said that you can't have WBTC on it. Why is that? Uh, because it's Bitgo. It's Bitgo's. It's not trustless. The the not being trustless so, is but a who huge makes hindrance. that decision? Who makes that decision? What do you mean? 
who who decides that WBTC can't be oh. on there? Because it is a token. So ERC20 token should be compatible, right? Yes. Yeah. So it theoretically could go on there, but it has not yet been implemented by the Compound team. But that doesn't make the code of Compound trustless or, or non-trustless or censorship uh, capable. Like if, if the demand for wrapped Bitcoin was that high, you could open source that and you yeah and it would be just too easy i guess but then you have to fork against the team i don't know i'm just bringing up these questions so i just don't think it's as simple as you lay it out to be that's all like on on uniswap you can you literally hit a button that says add your token and then you can add a token that's so great. like some of these things are, are better than others um like in terms of decentralization like like maker dow you have the foundation, you have the maker holders, right? Which are a party, like a unknown groups of people that are across the internet. But then you also have like the foundation that are basically hand holding the, the MKR holders into voting based off of the decisions that they think that they would want. So like that part's super centralized, but the actual voting process is decentralized. But that's just because maker governance is, is just like a year old. So like we're all, we're trying these things out. Some, a lot of these things are just, plain old algorithmic right like dydx is just algorithm based trading and so as as with any sort of demand somebody could somebody could add bitcoin to dydx or they would probably just do it themselves because they want users to come to their website my god nothing all right keep going keep going david keep going like again like i'm not mad about it i got more stuff (laughs) okay so like the right like it's, but you understand the point that like it should be pretty interesting to Bitcoiners for accessing these services rather than a service like Salt Lending or, or you know any other centralized uh, company where you, that they get to have control over your keys. Why do you think it hasn't happened yet? Wrapped Bitcoin on Ethereum. Well, just the uh, high usage of wrapped Bitcoin on Ethereum. Well, wait, what, one more time. Why do you think you're saying that like this? Uh, this is on the, this is coming, and this is what's going to be Bitcoin's main use case. But why hasn't it happened yet? I think it's just because we don't have anybody working on a trustless bridge to Bitcoin, and that's actually something I've been asking around on on Twitter. Is like, who the hell? Like, I I know this is valuable. Let's let's get a team on this. It's just the thing is the the bridge isn't isn't possible to make rent seeking. I mean, if it is, and it's not trustless, right? And so, like, my the first company I worked for, New Alchemy, tried to make this service. We, they called it Deluge, but they tried to make it rent seeking, and no one would be no one would be down. And so, like, the, when I when I when I heard about what Deluge was, was like, oh yeah, it's it's a way to get Bitcoin on Ethereum. I'm, and I was like, oh yeah, that's sick as fuck. And then they explained it to me. I was like, oh, Bitcoiners aren't gonna want this. This is super trusted. It's not it's not at all what they what they're looking for. And so the profit motive for generating a trustless bridge from Bitcoin to Ethereum is zero. So there's no incentive to do it. So I'm hoping after I poke around a little bit and ask if any team is uh, working on this, and if that answer is no, I'm gonna go and submit a uh, proposal to Moloch and say, hey, can I have however much funds I need to like re- to pay someone else who's smarter than me to research the best way to do this? So what you just described <clears throat> is uh, one of my favorite things about Bitcoin and the Bitcoin ecosystem. And it's that people build things and they don't necessarily get the funding for it. Uh, some of them who are capable enough to build it 
are building it themselves just uh, on their own time. And if people see what they, uh, if they like what they see, or if it's a, a good project that actually seems to generate some value, then somehow, somewhere, they always seem to eventually get funding for it after there's some sort of proven project or development. Um, and what you're saying on Ethereum is that uh, you're, you're, you're going to get funding for it, which, you know, is not a bad thing whatsoever. So I won't even actually go down that route. But uh, what's interesting that it hasn't been developed on Ethereum yet, and possibly for what you're, uh, the reasons you're saying is that uh, it hasn't been funded yet, to me is really fascinating because um, the way I look at that and like the, the, I guess the lens that I like see it through is that it shouldn't or it isn't being built on Ethereum right now, perhaps because it doesn't need to be. Uh, and it doesn't that the demand for it necessarily isn't there because if people aren't funding it and if no one's building something uh, on there, I guess just from where Bitcoin's developments uh, roots have always come from, at least the way I see it. Uh, for it to be built on Ethereum, it would need to have like some sort of neither value. And I guess that doesn't exist yet, but we'll see what happens. Well, it wouldn't be just built on Ethereum, right? This thing would be something that straddles both chains. On the Bitcoin side of things, it would be a time lock contract, whatever, whatever you call those. And then on Ethereum, it would be its equal and opposite side. So it's it's not just about being built on Ethereum, right? It's 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 logic that is available on both chains. And so kind of what I think is going on here is one, the crypto space is actually really small. And so like, if you haven't heard of somebody building on it, it's probably not, there's just like a, there's probably not someone building on it. There's just not enough people building all these things. And it might just not be around because no one's done it yet. It's, we could just be in that little like catch 22. And it's also this thing that like transcends identities and bitcoiners tend to only be bitcoiners and ethereans tend to only be ethereans and everyone wants to build things on their own projects and it takes a very special developer who wants to straddle both blockchains and bridge both someone has to be like super agnostic and apathetic towards like blockchain max maximalism when inside of a, a industry that basically selects for blockchain maximalism yeah, I mean, I guess what's also cool is that, um, you know, both Ethereans and like, Bitcoiners uh, appreciate um, money and, you know, a different kind of money. That's what's most important. So, you know, it's just interesting to me that Bitcoin, either whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum, both both are digital currencies. And so they're both they both represent value. And so does it really make sense maybe for this to be bridged together if what you're really just talking about is value and they both have a monetary representation so if you're thinking you know if you have x amount of capital and you're trying to do whatever this uh whatever functionality uh smart contracts on ethereum let you do on a specific platform then do you really even want bitcoin on ethereum if the money that you're going to put into it can just be put into Ethereum. I don't even know if it makes sense. That's why maybe it hasn't picked up yet because Bitcoiners are holding Bitcoin and it's like, okay, they have their own platforms that they can, you know, do this on. But if they wanted to do uh, what they're, what you're suggesting and what this entire podcast has been about lately, then why not? And like, what's so difficult about selling this Bitcoin for Ethereum for the time that you want to do whatever you want to do? and then just convert it back to Bitcoin when you make your profit. Because that's also also the other thing I want to point out is that 
a lot of these people, and this has been discussed many times like elsewhere, is that a lot of these people measure their profits in Bitcoin. So you could just sell for it uh, afterwards. It doesn't have to be necessarily wrapped and converted and all that complicated stuff. Right, but one, you would have to sell for it through a centralized service, and we're trying or to... Or Uniswap, right? Isn't that coming? Yeah, or, or Uniswap is, is a thing. And so if you had trustless Bitcoin, you could, you could go through that on Ethereum. Um, so one, the, one of the Ethereum like first principles is enabling user choice. And I think what is coming is three major monies. One of them is the finite supply hard cap money. One of them is the very control slow issuance money where people can participate in, in network inflation, which is proof of stake. And then also the totally unpredictable supply money, but stable value money. And so what we have basically is we have Bitcoin, Ether, and DAI. And I think those are the three monies that are going to basically hold up the future of crypto. And these are also the only three significant uh, decentralized censorship resistant monies. And I think those three categories are going to enable people the choice that they want to own. And so you can say, hey, do you want to own this highly speculative finite supply money? Or do you want to, to uh, own this money that you can participate in network staking and it, it's native to the Ethereum blockchain and, and receive rewards? Or you can go with the, the store of value money, which is the store of value that doesn't fluctuate rather than Bitcoin store of value, which does fluctuate and die. And so it's important for Bitcoin. And not only, not only is it important to give choice, but it's important for Bitcoin to come onto Ethereum because Ethereum is generating this Web 3.0 world. And Bitcoin is just money, like Web 2.0 money. And so it's going to fall behind and become not usable in this new Web 3.0 world that we're, that we're building on Ethereum. And if that is at all successful, you won't, you won't be able to use Bitcoin there and you'll have to use just Ether or, and DAI. And so it's Bitcoin's, it's in Bitcoin's interest to come onto Ethereum and be money on that blockchain. I brought this point up right at the beginning. The huge assumption is that people want to use this infrastructure. So I'm yet to be convinced that it has gone beyond extremely early adopters. Um, I'm very convinced that Bitcoin has gone beyond very early adopters is advancing very nicely so i think we're, we're we may be getting a little ahead of ourselves here but ultimately if people do want this infrastructure then yes bitcoin can bless you with its liquidity i'm sure that'll be make your markets much better so i'm sure it'll be good for everyone i really have very i think we're very far away from seeing um you know ethan web 3.0 being the future of the internet so we'll see. We'll see. Like, again, I I'm, I'm, would love to see. I have some bags. I don't care. You know, I'm trying to win no matter what. Do you think Web 3.0 we'll is see. a thing? I mean, DeFi kind of is a thing. I, I, I still am. I, I'll stand by this. Lightning Network is the only app on DeFi Pulse that's actually decentralized. I will stand by that right now. And the website, not very good. When you when you paid when you paid your lightning at the bar the other day, you told me it was it was custodian to custodian uh, with with lightning. Like lightning has the same centralization risks as as some of these platforms. Lightning's really really new. 
They're also they're no no but <laughs> that's at the what same I'm time, saying. Like lightning is very decentralized. There's a lot of different nodes out there. There's a lot of people that have their own wallet node. It's just at that moment it was just much easier to have it on my phone, and it was a very small amount of money, like literally five dollars. So like it really from an economic perspective, it didn't really matter to me yet. But the infrastructure is there and it's being built. So if your explanation is that the infrastructure is there and it's being built for all of the platforms that you think are centralized on DeFi Pulse, which I don't think are are centralized, that would be the same response. The difference is that the Lightning Network itself as an application is decentralized. There's three companies mm-hmm. working on it. There's thousands of different right. nodes. Right, right. It's like literally it's decentralized. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So like... I mean, those contracts, you could say they're literally decentralized because they're on Ethereum, but if everything about it is anchored to one company, I just, you know, I just want to point that out. Company is not even the right word. It's more of just a team of developers because they're not, they're not generating profits. Right, exactly. It, it goes back to what you were saying about like funding on, you know, as it relates to Ethereum and stuff like Bitcoin devs and like Lightning devs. Uh, it's not about the funding. It's about building something on a protocol that's really, really cool. And that's what Lightning is doing. And it's spreading amongst, you know, more than one company. So that's just, it's awesome. I, I think we're going around in circles here. Um, we're, yeah, we're about to. Y'all have, y'all have heard this argument before. Tweet at us. Let us know what you think. Add to the <laughs> Oh, no, I'm ready to keep going on, on, a, on, a, on a separate path. Hot take. Okay, go, go David. Ethereum is going to be Bitcoin's scaling network. So all of the development and research going into uh, into sharding and and proof of stake, which adds throughput and, and all that stuff, that is going to scale Bitcoin far better than Lightning ever will. So I'll actually I'll actually I'll I'll go with this. I already think that ETH and all other altcoins <laughs> are just these kind of like alt layer twos for Bitcoin. Ultimately, it's Bitcoin value that's being speculated on or whatever that are being ported through these other networks. So I think that that is already true. And will it be significant? Maybe, but you're already layer two right now. Yeah, so the thing is like Ethereum will become a side chain to Bitcoin and then all the Bitcoin is going to flow over to Ethereum to capture all of the, the lending rates available trustlessly through DeFi. And then all of a sudden there's going to be like a ton of Bitcoin on Ethereum. And then all of a sudden Bitcoin is actually just going to be this like Bitcoin minting machine. And as soon as that Bitcoin's minted, it's going to be sent to the to the bridge contract and be put on Ethereum. And basically we're just going to find out how much Bitcoin has been totally lost into, into the void. And all the meaningful Bitcoin is going to be on Ethereum gaining value in DeFi, just you know because if you have idle bitcoin you might as well move it to DeFi and get a lending rate bitcoin on on bitcoin is worth nothing but bitcoin on DeFi is worth like 10 percent a year and then there's going to be no fucking fees for the bitcoin blockchain after that and there's going to be absolutely no security but it won't matter because the if even if there's no security on the bitcoin blockchain the, the bitcoins in the contract 
aren't moving and so there's no there's no way to double spend them and so bitcoin is just going to be this bitcoin printing machine it's going to go to ethereum as the ethereum global sediment layer and i'm going to fucking take a screenshot of this and i'm going to timestamp it so you guys can see christian and tyberg's face right now <laughs> so much to unpack there oh my god all the bitcoin is going to be on ethereum it's going to be a one-way bridge because that's how bitcoin gains more value than just being a static asset and so all all of the Bitcoin is going to be on Ethereum and the Bitcoin blockchain is just going to have like no transactions on so it. So what I'm really excited to see uh, play out is the rates fluctuate on all the DeFi platforms because of specifically what you're saying, which is the assumption that the rates will always be attractive. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but shouldn't they at some point not be attractive because there's no way that they can just continuously earn interest for investors that put their money into it? And so that being said, then, I mean, even on top of that, it's not even, it's not like in replacement of that, but Bitcoin won't necessarily even fluctuate into that. And I can't even argue this anymore because it's not, it's just not going to happen. There's just no way that this isn't going to, this is going to go to, uh, into Ethereum. It, it, even if some of it does, it hasn't even started to happen yet. So it's just lots of hopium here, David, lots of hopium, man. The thing is, like, all of these things are present. Like, all the puzzle pieces are there. Like, we know how to make a trustless bridge. And once you're a trustless bridge, we know how to make you a token on Ethereum. And then we know how to put you into DeFi. And we know that you'll get lending rates. And, yes, the lending rates will fluctuate. And as more and more liquidity and, and Bitcoin supply is offered, the, the rates will go down. But it's it's going to be far more valuable to have Bitcoin on Ethereum than Bitcoin on Bitcoin because Bitcoin on Ethereum is how you take Bitcoin and make it programmable rather what than about, just programmed. What about Bitcoin's most valuable proposition, which is that it's it's a censorship resistant transaction uh, layer? You know, it, it's it's base layer. It's most valuable asset, which is its block space that the transaction. Uh, fees go towards and it's what people value most about bitcoin how are people going to be using that block space um which is 40 more time 40 times more valuable um or more it is 40 times less frequent than uh ethereum's block space i think um, ethereum's each ethereum you need a thousand ethereum confirmations to level to one bitcoin confirmation in terms of overall security I don't think that's a quantifiable number. Well, I mean, e either way, how does that even compare? Well, because if a Ethereum has a censorship resistant decentralized blockchain, so it's the same thing. And then, and then when we move it's, it's over not, to though. it's not it though, because here, because if we're getting into this, then uh, this is I was going to say this earlier because you touched on it uh, when you said uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum are in the same class. They're just not because Ethereum's uh, monetary policy can be changed tomorrow by a group of, you know, 12 devs sitting in the room in New York or something. Nobody can ever change the fact that Bitcoin has 21 million Bitcoins ever. Yeah. Yeah. And and That's we're not valuable. proof of stake and we're not sharding. So there's like a lot of things that Ethereum is not at the moment, but all of these things are also in development. And you have to think that that is going to be failed upon in order for that like you have to think that the ethereum developers are not going to be able to to pull it off but monetary policy is the strongest one of all and that and that will forever be in the control of people no no no, no. It, there's an there's a uh, like an algorithm in in ethereum 2.0 that manages the the monetary issuance 
So it's a variable algorithm that fluctuates based off of the supply of stakers. So if there's less stakers, it'll offer more. If there's more stakers, it'll offer less. I feel like we can go in circles around this. You know, ultimately the crux of the argument here is that if you if the protocol itself demands human coordination to upgrade, then therefore all aspects of it can be changed. So that is the Bitcoiner argument to that. So, I mean, we can run around that. If you believe that that's true, then you're probably a Bitcoiner. If you don't believe that that's true, then you could be more flexible. No, like we, the Ethereum community wants that too. It just wants that after we figure out all these other problems like sharding and proof of stake. Like that is the goal after the problems are solved. Which are also Bitcoin's problems, by the way. Like Ethereum sharding and, and proof of stake research is just a natural continuation on, on cypherpunk research. It's just happening on a different blockchain and it turns Bitcoiners off. I'm open-minded, but not all Bitcoiners are open-minded. Um, okay. I think that this is probably a good place to transition or try to transition before <laughs> to earlier. Um, a friend of ours had a recent security blunder which made his life a lot more difficult. It was brutal. Yeah, it was Michael. <laughs> Michael, tell us about what happened earlier today. Yeah, so um, just I was on my phone. Uh, I had a VPN going. Don't know if that's relevant. It probably isn't. But uh, I was on BitMEX, and I uh, saw you could see your little uh, cell phone bars on the top right. And long story short, mine just kind of uh, dwindled away to zero uh, in you know, basically a second or two, um, and had no service, uh, was disconnected from everything, quickly got, jumped on some Wi-Fi uh, connection and got immediate notifications from uh, a couple email uh, channels that said that all my accounts uh, related to crypto. So I guess Binance, Coinbase, Gemini, uh, and then a couple others, um, they were all compromised and that their, all their passwords had been reset. And so, yeah, and I didn't have a any cell connection, so it was a pretty interesting experience. I was hacked. So I have I have a, some questions for you because this is super interesting. Um, like, how much, how public facing are you about your crypto? So I have a buy Bitcoin sticker on the back of my car. I hope that hasn't given me away yet, um, or make, make me. Uh, <laughs> how many Twitter followers do you have? Uh, just under. Well, hopefully after this episode, more than this, but just under uh, five hundred. So, but yeah. And so I, you're I not really... the most like you're not the you're not like you know I don't know Vitalik or somebody or or you're not very public facing or or public about your crypto. How do you no, think this no. person found out that you own crypto? Uh, maybe I was on some sort of a list, uh, you know, from something. Maybe not, but uh, you know, I mean, I write for Bitcoin Magazine occasionally, so I hope that that wasn't it. But uh, maybe I'll find something out later maybe there will be some pattern but i, I couldn't tell you i mean I, I don't make myself that big of a target and i have no reason uh maybe to do that i'm not sure the interesting thing about kyc is that it's there to try to protect from money laundering but often what it does is create honey pots of information so every single place that kycs you you have to assume that there could be a chance that their data has been compromised and if that's the case then you know, what if Gemini had an email leak and all of a sudden they know every single person that has Gemini and then they can assume that they have all the other accounts too. Like it's not that, you know, jumping the skip away. So like, you know, it's it, it can happen anywhere there is some sort of metadata leaking can give you away. And that's why you have to prepare for the worst. 
and thankfully you had your keys and nothing was in a um a custodial account but if you had anything on coinbase or gemini it would have been gone yeah i lost all access to everything so hypothetically if i didn't own my keys and didn't learn from the proof of keys movement on january 3rd that's been taking place every year uh if i hadn't learned from any of that uh definitely would have been out of any amount of bitcoin whatsoever but you know lucky for that but what's interesting is that i don't even know if i had my passwords uh all set to be the same and uh, it's worth mentioning and let this be a lesson to everyone that i didn't have two of a set up so sms was kind of the only thing that was uh you know keeping me uh keeping my security together and that failed obviously but besides that i'm not even sure if my passwords were the same so it might have been coordinated might have not been but it's really interesting how uh it ended up playing out yeah, that's crazy. Do you have access to your accounts again? I haven't really checked because I haven't had uh, any reason to yet. I know that my uh, uh, cell phone service is being fixed right now, but uh, I have no money on there. So, and they, I have no access to, or the exchange accounts have no access to my bank account. So, I, I have no reason to be worried. I guess, but I'll check and, you know, check on Twitter or something. Maybe something that does happen. Who knows? <laughs> Probably not though. <laughs> This is kind of the, one of the things that I really hope crypto inspires in tech companies is the promise of immutable censorship resistant money means that they have to manage their security a lot better. And so I, I hope this whole crypto movement inspires a lot more uh, uh, thought into security, um, not even just crypto related. I listened to a Hidden Forces podcast episode, super good podcast. It's like my favorite podcast after POV Crypto. And it's uh, he, Dimitri Kolfinas is the host. He's he's crypto savvy, but he's also really savvy with markets and investing and tech at large. And he had an episode of, of, about security and and how we've never built anything security focused. And so I probably shouldn't like. Never mind. It's in the it's in the podcast. But like, if you have a, a Bluetooth insulin pump, you can be hacked by somebody with malicious intent and have your bluetooth pump go off like three times and that's a lethal dose and there are like the 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 episode went through like 30 different examples of how a hacker could create mass issues like by by just fucking with a hospital like they talked about the whole like shutting down the 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 hospital's uh database and then asking for a bitcoin ransom and how like our 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 security tech is just so behind and I really think that the emergence of crypto is really going to fix a lot of technical debt that is owed in a, the uh, the surrounding ecosystem we live in. Absolutely. In this case, Bitcoin and crypto, digital bearer <laughs> assets, they align incentives, right? They create a channel for if you have vulnerabilities, you will be exploited and they can demand ransom in a censorship resistant way. And literally every single shitty institutional program will get ransomed you must expect that you must Mm -hmm. expect it every single city in america probably in europe will get ransomed cool should we wrap this up yeah let's do it what's going on all right guys you can follow the podcast at pov crypto pod michael where can they find you uh, you can find me on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. Uh, my Twitter handle is just my last name, and that's at uh, Tyberg, T-A-I-B-E-R-G. 
Cool. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. This is the first time I'm not going to show Bitcoin 2019 and the first time I'm going to show Bitcoin 2020. If you go to Bitcoin2020conference.com, you can get early bird tickets for $20.20 to next year's event. It's going to be the Havening Fest. Not been uh, verified or confirmed, but that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a fantastic event. I think you can look at this year as an example. We're going to go bigger and better. Very excited. Of course, rate and review the podcast. Do everything. Wait, Christian. What's what's the price of Bitcoin at the start of, of 2020? Ooh. Bitcoin 2020. More than 20000 I like that. I really like that. I feel that's pretty reserved, but okay. Uh, also, should we tell everyone that uh, Bitcoin 2020 tickets go up to 100 bucks soon? They do. I mean, prices, you just expect price to go up. We just told them. Super, super early bird. 2020, don't wait, don't hesitate. Lightning and Bitcoin only. Cool. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Michael, thanks for coming on the podcast again. Thanks for having me again. Appreciate it.